there's a, a young girl in Kumavan where I live in the village, and uh, she's a, a tennis player. And uh, the community have been trying to raise funds for her and to support her. And there's been social media posts, Facebook and so on, saying that we should all get behind this young girl because she comes from our village. And then there was a young boy playing for Wales in the 20s a few weeks ago. And the same thing, you know, let's all get behind these young people um, and support them from the village and so on. Jesus was in Nazareth, his, his own hometown or his city. And uh, yet he doesn't receive the support, does he? And we'll come to that afterwards, uh, as we just read in the, in the scriptures. He comes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he's rejected. And they wanted to throw him over the cliff. And uh, it's a sad account in many ways, but it's also a very challenging account. And uh, I want us to think about the Lord's ministry from these verses, Luke chapter 4, verses 14, down to verse 30. Last week we were looking at the Lord's temptations together. And uh, we, we saw that the Lord was victorious in his temptations. And, and that, um, that, that's picked up again there in verse 14. We are told uh, by Luke, as he records uh, in his gospel, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Uh, I just want to begin with that again. I'm not, not going to repeat everything uh, we looked at last week. Uh, but, but just to divide these verses into four parts. And the first thing would be the, the victory of the Lord's ministry. The victory of his ministry. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And then the news of him went out throughout all the surrounding regions. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And uh, we, we see in that sentence there in verse 14, uh, a, a note of the Savior's victory. Uh, we said last week that he was the last Adam. Uh, Jesus stood where Adam had fallen into sin. And you remember Genesis 3, how when, when Adam sinned, there's a sense of shame and guilt. And Adam and Eve, his wife, are hiding in the trees of the garden, and God comes looking for them. But, but here is the last Adam, our Savior, and he's been tempted. But in verse 14 of Luke 4, uh, there's no defeat. There's no hanging of the Savior's head in shame. Uh, he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he begins his ministry, there's a, there's a note of victory there. Uh, not, not shame and hiding away or failure, uh, but uh, Jesus victorious. And um, so just picking up where we were last week, really, uh, following on from the temptations of the Lord Jesus. Uh, a, a note of victory uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I noticed here, I was just looking at those words as we read it in verse 20, uh, that when Jesus began to speak in his hometown of Nazareth, the, the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And uh, it began well there, didn't it? It looked promising in Nazareth. Uh, but I was thinking in terms of verse 20, would, wouldn't that be a good thing for us to be doing ourselves in our own lives? Where, where are your eyes this evening? What are you looking at? What, is, what, what captures your attention? Um, you remember the old uh, Christian song from years ago, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And look full in his wonderful face, that the things of earth may grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And uh, when the Lord Jesus speaks here, there's that anointing of the Spirit. He's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's, bound, he's bound the devil for a time at least. And uh, proven himself to be the, the victor and the conqueror over temptation. And, uh, and the eyes of everybody are fixed upon him. 
Uh, it just struck me you know, that that would be a good place to start this evening, whatever kind of a day you've had, uh, whether, whether good or bad or mediocre. Um, we need our eyes, don't we, the eyes of faith to be upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our victor, he's our conqueror. Um, and I uh, pray that that might be true of, of our Bible study this evening, that we could fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the victory of his ministry, which we touched on last time. Um, and, and then secondly this evening, I want us to think about the content of the Lord's ministry. Uh, what was Jesus preaching about? Uh, what did he have to say? And uh, we, we find from verse 14 all the way down to verse 30 that there's, um, there, there's much that Jesus teaches. Uh, in fact, at the end of the chapter, verse that we didn't read, uh, in verse 43, Jesus says, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities. Because for this purpose, I have been sent. I must preach the kingdom of God. And uh, Jesus, there's a sense of determination there, isn't there? Jesus knows what he's about. He's not confused. So some people have the idea, you know, that when the Lord Jesus was on earth, he, he didn't really know what he was doing. He was confused. He didn't know what he was about. But we find here that uh, Luke recording that Jesus was determined to preach the kingdom of God. And uh, that, that's what he does. Many people are not, not interested in what Jesus has to say. Um, you, maybe you know people who uh, are interested in the life of Jesus. They, they, they like um, the miracles of Jesus and the wonderful things he did. But not so much the things that he taught. Uh, I, I remember many years ago, not long since I'd become a Christian, and I spoke to an elderly lady and uh, she was a, a member of a, another chapel in the, in the town where I came from, my stag. And uh, she, we were talking to her on the door. And uh, she said, oh, I, I'm so-and-so, and I go to this particular church. And we got talking about the scriptures. And uh, we, we were talking about John's Gospel, chapter 3. And about being born again. And I, it always struck me, I never forgot what she said, this elderly lady. Oh, that's one of the verses in the Bible, she said, that we have to overlook. And uh, it always stayed with me, you know, a person in the church, in a chapel, and her husband was an officer in the church. But certain things in the Bible, no, those things we don't believe. We don't have to understand or, or grapple with those things. We overlook them. Uh, what, what, what about yourself when it comes to the teaching of the Lord Jesus? And uh, the, the, there's much here that the Lord Jesus says about his ministry. But it's summed up there in that 43rd verse, the kingdom of God. This was the Lord's concern. And he says, I must preach the kingdom of God. And uh, at the end of the chapter, some people want to keep Jesus where he is. But the Lord says, no, I, I must venture out. I must do missionary work. I, I must evangelize. And I must preach the kingdom of God, he says. And uh, so that, that was the Lord's ministry, that was his task. He says, for this purpose I've been sent, sent into the world. And uh, so we, we know that the Lord was sent to die on the cross, that was his ultimate mission. And, and yet uh, a big part of his mission also was to teach people, wasn't it, to preach the gospel, to preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus said, is a... Uh, it, it has uh, different dimensions to it. it. It has a past dimension. It has a present dimension and a future dimension. Uh, 
uh, you could say the kingdom of God is past. It's already come. Remember those words where the Lord Jesus was being asked by the Pharisees, well, where is the kingdom of God? And uh, the Lord Jesus says the kingdom of God is uh, within you. But it could also be translated among you. As if to say the Lord Jesus saying, look, the kingdom of God has come. When Jesus began his ministry, he preached the kingdom of God has come. And with the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world, the Son of God, uh, we, we can say that God's kingdom has arrived. It's, it's past. In, in one sense, it's already arrived. But then we could also say that the kingdom of God is, is present. Jesus taught his people to pray. Uh, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. So we are, we are to pray to our Father in heaven for the Lord's kingdom to come. Whenever anybody is converted, the kingdom of God is coming then, isn't it? The Lord Jesus sets up his reign in a person's heart and life, and a life is changed and transformed. So we, we could say the kingdom of God is past and is present, and it's also future. Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, Jesus says to his people, with regard to the glory to come. And he says to believers, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And that's something that we have to look forward to, isn't it, as believers? The kingdom of God is coming in the future, in all its glory. And uh, the kingdom of God is a big theme, isn't it? And it's a wonderful theme. Past, present, future. How does a person enter into the kingdom of God? Well, John chapter 3, the verse of that lady I spoke about just now in my stake many years ago, she rejected it, but Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. It has to be a new birth. There has to be a birth from above by the Holy Spirit. And uh, you think of all the wonderful things that Jesus taught uh, in the Gospels recorded for us. Um, and so the, 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 the content of his ministry, uh, a, a wonderful theme. Uh, we are told here about the Lord's ministry in verse 22. Uh, they all bore witness to him and they marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Gracious words, words full of grace. John chapter 1, you remember that verse? Jesus was full of grace and truth. Gracious words. Mark in his gospel says, the common people, the ordinary folk, they, they heard him gladly. They loved to listen to him. There was something welcoming in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stranger, isn't it, that although the people in Nazareth, they, they marveled at his gracious words, yet they end up rejecting him. Yet they did acknowledge that his words were gracious. And, uh, and welcoming in that sense. We are also told in the chapter that the Lord spoke with authority. Verse 32, they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority. And, and you put these verses together, you know, the kingdom of God and Jesus saying, I must preach the kingdom of God. And then his gracious words, but his authoritative words. How much we need that today, don't we, in preaching and in witnessing as Christians, you know, we need 
gracious words, but we also need authoritative words so that people will sit up and take notice. Well, that was the, the content or part of the content of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. At least, you know, he, he was clear in his teaching as well. The people listened to him and they heard him uh, gladly. He preached about a kingdom that can never be destroyed. And uh, so there's the victory of his ministry. There's the content of his ministry. Uh, thirdly, in verse uh, 17 to 22, there's the fulfillment of his ministry. This brings us really to the main part of this passage. The fulfillment of his ministry. Jesus stands up there in Nazareth and he reads in the synagogue. And he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. Verse 17 says, he's handed the book. And he opened the book and he found the place where it was written. So the Lord Jesus there, he knows what he's going to speak on. Uh, he deliberately turns to Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads the words there in verse 18 and 19 of Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, To proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And uh, in verse 21 today Jesus says this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The fulfillment of his ministry. Somebody has said, um, one of the Jewish scholars um, that the highlight of any synagogue service was a reading from the law uh, followed by a passage from the prophets. In some ways, they, their synagogue service were very similar to ours, wasn't it? Uh, and, uh, but that's a challenge. The highlight of the service was the reading from the scriptures. And, uh, well, there's a challenge for, for ourselves. Is, is that still the highlight for you of any service? You know, when God's word is being read. And, and when God, God's voice hopefully is going to be heard. And uh, here the Lord Jesus quotes and reads from Isaiah chapter 61. And uh, he closed the book, verse 20 it says. Um, if you compare these words with Isaiah 61, we find that Jesus didn't finish the sentence. Uh, he finished at verse 19 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But the sentence that he misses out is found in Isaiah 61 verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. But the Lord Jesus didn't finish the sentence. He closed the book when he said, I've come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Book closed. He doesn't finish the sentence, the day of vengeance of our God. And so we ask the question, well, why did Jesus close the book? Uh, well, we know what some people would say. Some people would say it's because Jesus Christ does not believe in judgment. There was a minister a couple of years ago in North Wales, in, in one part of North Wales that I read about, and um, uh, he, he cut certain passages out of the Bible, and he stuck them on the notice board in the church. He invited people to come for teas and coffees, and uh, all the passages he cut out of the Bible, put on the notice board, were all to do with judgment. And then he said to the members of the congregation, oh, see these passages, he says, I don't believe 
in the judgment. And so I just want you to know, well, I suppose that he was being honest at least. <laughs> uh, but that's the best you could say about it, really. Um, but he was cutting out all the parts of the Bible that refer to judgment. I suppose some people would say that's why Jesus closed the book where he did in Isaiah 61. Of course, Jesus is a person of love and kindness. And so he closed the book because he doesn't want anybody to think that, uh, that he's come to bring vengeance or judgment. I'm sure you don't agree with that, neither do I, what that man did. Um, there was another reason, wasn't there, why Jesus closed the book? It's because the fulfillment of his ministry is split into two parts. When Jesus comes the first time into the world, he comes to proclaim the gospel. It's a day of grace. And Jesus highlights that in his reading, verse 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Good news. Uh, to heal the brokenhearted. And verse 19 is a summary, really, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. A, a quotation there which takes us back to the book of Leviticus. Where every 50 years in the Israelite history, uh, uh, the Israelites were to proclaim the year of Jubilee. Where slaves were to be set free and, and, and debts were to be released. And it was the trumpet sounding and it was a, a year of good news. A day of grace. And uh, isn't surely that's what Jesus is doing here. He deliberately closes the book because, not, be, not because he doesn't believe in judgment, but because he knows that his first coming, uh, he's been sent into the world not to destroy, but to proclaim salvation. And that's what he does. Today is still a day of grace. It's an opportunity to be saved, to come to know God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's good news. Some of the words there in verse 19 from Isaiah 61 uh, you know, they, they are so wonderful, aren't they, those words? Uh, good news to the poor, to those that have nothing. And, and isn't that how, how we are to come to God, you know, with nothing in our hands? We, we've got nothing to offer God, but there's good news. And, and there's healing for those who are brokenhearted. And there's liberty for the captives, for those who feel fast bound in sin and nature's night as Wesley says in his hymn but there's, there's, there's release and there's freedom there's a sight given to those who are blind we think of our own day and age you know and people haven't got a clue what is going on they don't know their right hand from their left they don't know what life is all about and, and here's the Lord Jesus the, the light of the world and he's come to proclaim the year of jubilee Good news. I remember reading years ago, you know, Spurgeon um, lectures to my students. And Charles Spurgeon was giving lectures to students for the ministry and preachers. And uh, he says to the students on one occasion, when you are preaching the gospel, remember that you are not calling for the rent. You are not calling, you know, demanding for things. You are proclaiming good news. Isn't it good news on a... What day is it? Uh, Wednesday evening. Good news on a Wednesday evening. We, we don't have to save ourselves. We're not earning points by turning up on a Wednesday. That's not what it's all about. 
Christ has finished the work for us. There is forgiveness of sins. There is peace with God through the Lord Jesus. It truly is good news. You, you don't have to bring anything to be saved. Simply believe on the Savior and uh, in his name we are accepted. It's a day of grace. Not calling for the rent tonight, not demanding anything of you. Proclaiming that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved and you will be saved. And uh, so Jesus says today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But of course, we, we know that one day the book will be opened again. The Lord Jesus will come, his second coming. And the next time he comes, he will come as the judge. The judge of the whole earth. He's been raised from the dead. He's God's appointed judge. Uh, Jesus says the Father judges no one, but has appointed all judgment to the Son. And there's a day of wrath coming. There's a day of anger. Revelation chapter 6. The Apostle John is given the vision of the day of judgment. And what is it going to be like? Who's going to, who's going to bring the world to an end? Is it President Putin? No, it's, as, as one Ukrainian pastor said recently on, on the internet, uh, President Putin is not God. Jesus Christ is God's judge. And in Revelation 6, you remember that John the Apostle sees the world coming to an end. And uh, the wrath of the Lamb is being released. The day of vengeance has come. Today is the day of salvation, but there's coming a day when the world will, will, will collapse and crumble all of it. And then the Lord Jesus returns as, as judge, and, and, and you will be judged, and I will be judged by the person of Jesus Christ. And so the fulfillment uh, of his ministry, they all bore witness, they, they spoke about the gracious words that proceeded uh, out of his mouth. Thank God today that it's still a day of grace. We come to a time of prayer uh, in a little while and we can still pray for people to be converted in Clidach. We can pray for loved ones to be converted. It's not too late for people to be saved. But one day there's a, there's a judgment and uh, we will appear before the Lamb of God. So there's the fulfillment of, the, of his ministry. And then, and then lastly, verses 22 down to verse 30, uh, there's the warning of the Lord's ministry. Uh, people began, begin then in Nazareth to talk and they begin to grumble and complain a bit. The first thing they say in verse 22 is, is this not Joseph's son? And then from verse 23 to 27, Jesus teaches them. And really, he gives them a warning. And, and there's always a warning in the gospel, isn't there? I suppose you could say that we haven't really preached the gospel unless we give a warning. And, and Jesus does that here. He, he knows what people are thinking. Uh, he, he says in verse 23, you, you will surely say this. As if he knows their hearts, he knows what they're thinking already, and he knows what they're going to say. 
physician, heal yourself. Is this not Joseph's son? Uh, you know, they, they, they're beginning to say, well, you know, we know this man. We've known him since he's been a boy. We know Joseph and Mary. Is he claiming to be the Messiah? Uh, we've known him all our, all our days, and we've known him since he's a child. You know the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. It's a terrible danger, that, isn't it? You know, we, we become familiar with the Christian things and the gospel, and we have a Bible, and, and, and uh, it's just become so familiar. Familiarity breeds contempt. We know who he is. He's, he's from Nazareth. And then Jesus says, you, you will say to me, physician, heal yourself. Uh, you know, look, look, look at your lowly condition. Look at where you're from. You're from Nazareth. Joseph and Mary, your, your legal parents, they, they are so poor. Well, well, we'll do something about your own position first. And then they begin to demand miracles. The end of verse 23, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Well, the Lord has been doing miracles in Capernaum and some wonderful miracles and works and they've heard about those and, and now they say, do those things here. And, and yet there's, there's something wrong as, as you read those words. You know, there's, there's no humility, there's no thankfulness. There's criticism, criticism of Jesus. Shouldn't, shouldn't they have said, what a wonderful privilege that the Son of God should come from our place. How wonderfully blessed we are. Lord, thank you for remembering us and uh, coming to us in Nazareth. No, there's nothing like that. There, there, there's little snide remarks. There's over-familiarity with Jesus. There's a demanding for him to do miracles. And, uh, and then the story, of course, gets worse, doesn't it? In verse 24 to 27, Jesus gives the warning and he reminds them of the Old Testament. And uh, he says that in the days of Elijah, uh, there were many widows in, in, in uh, Israel, he says, but to none of, them, none of them Elijah was sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. What's the point of that verse? Well, in the days of Elijah, the, the Lord's people were passed by. And Elijah went to a widow who was a pagan. And blessing came to her house. And verse 27, Jesus says, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Naaman was a pagan. And all the other lepers in Israel were passed by. And, and God blessed Naaman and cured him of his leprosy. That wonderful story in 2 Kings chapter 5. So what, what's the point there? What, what's the Lord getting at? Well, he's warning his own people in Nazareth. You know your own history. You know that if your heart is not humble, the Lord says, you could be passed by. What happens? Well, verse 28, all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, wouldn't it be wonderful to read that they were all humbled and they were sorry and they cried out to God in thankfulness and mercy? Uh, 
but instead we are told they were filled with wrath. You've all heard of road rage. Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary on Luke says this is this was synagogue rage. There it was in the place of worship, anger. And they rose up, verse 29, and they threw him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. Can you believe that? The Son of God was there in Nazareth, his hometown, his home city. And they were furious at him. They were offended to think, you know, that he should say to them that they could be passed by. But look look how the story finishes this part in, in the chapter, verse 30. Then passing through the midst of them, Jesus went his way. As if it's saying to us there, you know, he passed them by. He went somewhere else. He passed through the midst of them and on, on his way he went to, to preach to other cities. And so that there's a warning in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, isn't there? Always. Yes, it is a day of grace. Thankfully, it's, it's a day of good news. We, we can be saved. We can have forgiveness of sins. We can come into the kingdom of God. And, and yet, in, in the hearing of the gospel... If we, if we react, you know, with a, with a proud attitude or if, if we react with a criticism of Jesus or, or with a demanding attitude like these people did, then, then the Lord could pass us by, couldn't he? We've read of stories of revival, revival times in Wales and um, in other parts of the world and, and uh, certain churches passed by in days of revival. Attitude of the people was wrong. Hearts were not right. Not humble. There's a message here for us today, isn't there? Surely in the Christian church. We, we, we might think sometimes, well, you know, the Lord is bound to bless us. We are the evangelical pre- uh, ones. We, we, we've held on to the truth all these years. You know, we deserve a little bit of blessing. But there's that verse that the Apostle Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 5. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Or that verse in Chronicles, you remember, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. That's very significant, that, isn't it? Uh, It doesn't begin with prayer, but it begins with your attitude before you pray. Humility first. Because the Lord resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What about ourselves this evening, I wonder? Are we missing out on blessings because... Maybe have we, have we become arrogant? Have we become over-familiar with the gospel? Isn't there a need again for, the, for ourselves as believers to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and to say, Lord, while on others you are calling, do not pass us by, Lord, but have mercy upon us. Lord, we don't deserve anything, but don't pass us by. 
Remember there was that other uh, great hymn from many years ago? Um, oh Jesus, ever with us stay. Make all our moments calm and bright. Chase the dark night of sin away. Shed over our souls thy holy light. Stay with us, Lord. Or Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, uh, where the church in Laodicea was in danger of being spewed out of the Lord's mouth, as it were, and the candlestick being removed, the witness being removed. But then the Lord very graciously says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him, and, and he shall sup with me, fellowship with Christ. Christ. 